Heavenly Father, we have come together to discuss something that you have given unto us, but what unfortunately has been distorted in the fall to something that is not very glorious in your sight. And we obviously all are susceptible to this, um, for myself first, and, and we would ask for your spirit to be here amongst us, that he would teach us um, from your word and, and from what we can learn in, in your creation to deal with those emotions and those things that are out of control in our lives and bring them back under the control of your Holy Spirit. And so we submit ourselves to you in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Obviously, I'm not an expert at this. I have my own anger issues that I'm dealing with, (laughs) Um, mainly related to my children. (laughs) As any of you with children can understand, (laughs) Um, they bring out the best and the worst in you. Um, And so as we discuss together, please uh, feel free to share. Um, I want to learn from much, as much from you uh, as maybe you will today. Um, what is anger? Describe to me anger, well, not describe anger, but, but define anger. What is anger? It's an emotion. Okay, good. Extreme frustration. Extreme frustration. Good. Excellent. I'm right here. Where are you? Here. <laughs> Fear? Fear. Okay. A lot of times driven by fear. Excellent. It's also it's a loss of control. It's a loss of control. Excellent. Which generates that emotion within us. Very good. Any other ideas on, on what is anger? Sin. It's sin. Well, I'll say it could be sin. How about that? Um, it's also biological force. Okay. Our bodies. It's a biological force. It's something that's going on within it, our bodies. It's changing. It makes some major changes in our and in it our makes physical some, being. And it makes some major changes. Excellent. If we look strictly from a biblical sense, to start with, and we go through the Greek and the Hebrew, we're going to see very soon that, that they all seem to fit together. Whenever the Word of God describes anger, it describes it as a very strangling thing. It just... It, it, oppresses you and, 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 and strangles you and, and just draws you in to this choking aspect um, is how it's, it's described and, and in a very vexing thing. So it's not something usually that's described very positively in the Word of God. From Webster's def- definition, it's basically a natural and, a, and mostly automatic response or, or passion response of the mind. Um, and I think for all of us, I think we can all attest to that, there's very few people that any of us know of that are just never angry, and they're just totally chilled throughout life, and nothing faces them, and everything's cool. doesn't matter what happens to me, to somebody else in the world, whatever. It is what it is. There, there's, there's no one that goes through life that indifferent. So different things make us angry or different things generate an automatic passion response of our mind where we're like, that's wrong, no! Or, oh, I can't believe that happened. Or, would you please stop it? That's so annoying, as we say to our children very often. Um, so there, in many ways, it's, it is. It's how our body works. It's how God designed our body to work. 
He designed us with anger. He designed us with that emotion. God gets angry. We read it throughout his word. We are created in his image with that same response. But obviously through the fall, what we respond to in order to get angry has somewhat been distorted and broken and lost. And so things that probably shouldn't get us anger or, or how angry we get to the level that we get is obviously not what, not what God intended when we were created. So then how does this passion response of the mind work? What happens when we get angry? Is it just something, well, I just, it's here, it's in my emotion? No, it's, it's actually here in my head and then generated through my emotion because it comes from perception, whether through any of our, our senses as we're going to talk about. Um, and it all happens in, and I'm going to keep this short and simple so that it doesn't go over too many people's heads and get too deep into to biology, but it happens in the limbic system. This is where all of our emotions are generated in this area. Everything that we see, everything that comes through our senses, any of the five senses, is filtered through first the limbic system in our brain. So it's the first filter that, that things go through. Any of the, the things that come through our senses will get filtered through that first. And so that's, in essence, where our emotions reside, where they start from. And it's from here, which then gets translated into what we, we think is our heart, and then our passion comes out um, in, in living, in full living color um, sometimes. So then what happens in, when we get angry? If we know that's where it starts and where it begins, what happens in an angry brain versus a normal brain? You know, we've all seen this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. Well, it's kind of the same thing. You can see a difference between a normal brain and an angry brain. The top one is a normal brain, and the bottom one is a, an angry brain. And I don't know if you can, how well you can see it. Oopsie, wrong way in here. Sorry, I reversed it. The normal brain is on the bottom and the angry brain is on the top. And if you look in those areas where the limbic system is, you can see there's a lot darker area in the top one here than there is here. And even in here, there's a lot darker and it's getting bigger and spreading in each of those areas. Um, showing that, that that's where it's starting. It's, it's cultivated in the mind is where anger begins. Because, again, loss of control, we think we're out of control. We feel that someone has done something against us. We feel that someone, or think that someone said something against us. We perceive that this is what happened. And it's all about our senses and translated in our mind, which then becomes, has to, has to, the passion is the response of what's going on in the brain. And what happens is most of the times this is subconscious. We're really not attuned to it at the beginning. And then as time goes on, as it gets bigger and the thoughts continue and the anger grows, then it becomes a little more of a conscious decision. Um, and that's why it's so important that, that as we begin to think through this and talk through anger, um, that it's very much based on conscious thought and logic. Because often when emotions come into play, there is no conscious thought or logic. It's just emotion. 
or just the, the passion response of the mind. So what are some of the dangers that, that are associated with, with anger? What are some of the things that, that can happen? What are the, the, some of the, the responses? By the way, how long do I have here? When does this go till? I want to keep an eye on that. 11.40. Okay, perfect. Um, we'll be done early. That's okay. Or we'll have lots of time for discussion. Um, anger. Anger is what we call a second-hand emotion. It's not something that happens first-hand. It's, not, it's something that happens second-hand. What do we mean by that? There are things that precede anger. Anger is the response, the, the physical response that comes out. But it has to be triggered by something. And that's by our thoughts or, or, or how we feel and, and that, that perception that goes on. So it's triggered by that. But at the same time it, as it being triggered, it also can be catalyzed into something bigger and faster and huger um, by accompanying thoughts and feelings. So not only is it I perceive or I think in my mind that that person said something about me or is talking about me behind my back, but then I accompany that with, I see that person over there talking to another person, and they're laughing, and they just looked at me. They must be talking about me. And that makes me even angrier because my preceding thought that triggered it was that person doesn't like me. And now I see them talking about, well, talking to each other and looking at me or laughing, and now it's about me. And so now I've just catalyzed what it is. And then when the person comes by and doesn't greet me or doesn't look at me, well, now I really know that person doesn't like me. And so then we get into this confrontation. It's secondhand. It's not real. It's all perceived, and it has come secondhand. But it's also a blinding emotion. It blinds us from the truth. Because we really don't see reality, we see our perception of reality. To the point where we are so preoccupied with how we view that person, or that event, or that thing, that we really can't see outside of our little box and how we're viewing things. And so that anger just builds because that's all we see, is this instead of really looking at reality and taking a step back and consciously, logically thinking through something and saying, okay, do they really not like me? Okay, so they happened to walk by and didn't greet me. Does that mean they don't like me or they're angry with me? No, it just means they were intent on something else. They were running after their kids. They were, whatever, it just happened. But it's also an isolating emotion. Think of the times when you got angry. It really draws you into yourself, doesn't it? You know, we all like to have these pity parties which turn into anger parties over what's going on, and it, and it, and it does. It isolates us, especially if we tend to get angry over a lot of things, over little small things, and, and, and we generate this reputation of being angry people or getting, blowing up at the light, smallest thing. What happens to us? He was like, <clears throat> we'll just stay away from that person because they really get angry all the time. And they're constantly just negative and bitter. And they're, they're always angry at this thing that happened in the church and then that thing that happened in the church. And this person is doing that. We isolate ourselves from those people because it's not fun to be around those type of people. And if it's our spouse 
or our children, it gets really hard because you're trying to isolate yourself within a small little area. But also anger, another danger, it's a very targeted emotion. It's literally not too general. Although it can be exhibited in very general ways. If I'm angry and I'm out on the roads and somebody cuts me off, I'll target it at that person that just cut me off. Am I really angry with that person? Not really. My anger is stemming from something else. I'm just going to lash out and target that specific thing to give it my anger. And you always hear the joke about, you know, who typically gets all the anger targeted at it? You know, the cat or the dog. Getting a good swift kick because I'm angry at something. You know, or we've all heard stories, or maybe ourselves, where, you know, I'm just so angry and I, I just go punch a hole in a wall. Which then is a pretty dumb idea because then I gotta go patch up the wall. But, or whatever happens to be, you know, I'm fixing my car and I accidentally hurt myself. Argh! Now i got to fix two things. But it's one of those, it's targeted. You target it at something. Um, and again, what is it targeted at? Or what you, sometimes what you think is causing the pain or something that is just the easiest to, to vent at. Um, and unfortunately, the second part of it, that which is easiest to vent at, is oftentimes our family, even though that may not be truly the source of our anger. Um, if we have issues at our job, many times that anger, because we can't let it out at our job, because, of course, then here's your slip, bye-bye, we take that anger home with us, and unfortunately it gets vented to our families. When it really doesn't belong there, that's not where it started. And if that happens long enough, sometimes our mind distorts the truth even further, and we think that it's our children or our spouses that are causing the anger. And really, that's not where it started from. So why is it important to, to think about all these things and, and to, to understand a little bit more about anger, its biological aspects, as well as, as just its, the psychology of, of how it works? One is anger is just, it's God-given. God designed it with us like we talked about So it's going to be something that's normal. It's going to be something that's natural. And for the most part, it's, it's mostly automatic, at least the initial stages of it. The response of it is not so much automatic, although it does tend to, tend, it can become an automatic response in us. And when it is, it requires a very conscious decision to get out of that because it's been programmed into how we do things. And it's important because, again, we have to realize that Everyone's experiencing it to some degree. Some are way on one end of the spectrum. Some are on the far end. Of the very few are on the other end of the spectrum, which don't get angry. And then there's a whole bunch of us somewhere in the middle to varying degrees. And so we can feel comfortable coming to a place like this and standing up. Hi, my name is Mark, and I have an anger issue. And everybody can say the same thing because we are all at different stages in that. Um, but also to realize that anger... Because of these things, anger is not wrong or sinful in and of itself. The anger, the, the passion response in our mind is not sinful. We can all quote the phrase, maybe somewhat out of context a little bit, but, but be angry and sin not. So there's an anger component of it that's okay. 
But the sinful part is what we need to talk about so that we can, with God's help and with his grace and his spirit, begin to rein that in a little bit and deal with it in a a God-pleasing way. Because obviously anger can become sinful, and and I think we've all personally experienced that to, to some degree at times. And so there is such a thing as sinful anger, and that's where we really need to to look at things where, and look at scripture where it says that it is foolish, it is unwise, it is sinful to react in an angry fashion. Um, and obviously in James 1, 19 and 20, if I can have someone read that, actually I should probably read it for the sake of the tape. Um, and that's the one about the wrath of, of man worketh not the righteousness of God. James 1, 19 and 20. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And that's where, again, you can see the first part of that verse 19, where James is talking about the conscious part first, right? Be swift to hear. It's a conscious decision. I have to choose to listen. I have to choose to be aware of my senses and to be, the second part of it, slow to speak. I have to disengage my mouth. I have to disengage what I want to do or what I want to say from what's going on. So it's it's that choosing, a conscious choice to separate the passion response in my mind from what my reaction is going to be. The response and the reaction is keeping those separate instead of I respond in anger. I'm angry. That's my response. And so I react immediately in anger as well. It's keeping the two, the response that's automatic in our brain from the physical reaction that's going to occur or that typically occurs. And that's how we then can get to slow to wrath. That's the third step. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. But you don't start with, well, I'm just going to be slow to wrath. Because it doesn't start with the action. It starts with the response in the mind. And so that's the, that's the idea of this form, is just to, to realize the importance of, of learning to deal with anger in a God-pleasing way, in a way that, that, that fits with his pattern in Scripture, um, so that it doesn't become sinful. We all have seen the picture of the Incredible Hulk, right? That's the, the, the picture of anger that has gone too far. That, that as soon as something happens, that some injustice that he sees, and he gets angry, and he just goes bonkers. And yet, this is what's portrayed as what? Our hero. This is a hero. This is, this is good. Is it really? Is this what saves the world? Just people just getting angry and just smashing things? But yet, that's what's portrayed. That this is... This is how we deal with anger. This is cool. This is, at least that's a picture that's being portrayed to, to children and teens. Anyone can become angry. That's easy. And this is from Aristotle. So this is from years ago. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, this is not easy. I think all of us can say a loud amen to that. Because I know I can't do that. Many times I fail to do that. 
is doing everything in just the right way so that anger is not sinful. And an oriental saying on the flip side of things is that a lot of times we're not punished for our anger from some external thing. We're punishing ourselves by our anger. And we're being punished. It's not we're, we're sending this anger out. No, this anger is damaging us more than it's damaging external. I have a little clip here. Um, it's about a five-minute clip. And you're going to see it's, it's kind of like a doctor-psychiatrist type of thing and, and his, his client. Um, and he's going to give some, some very um, typical, well-known anger management strategies. So I just wanted you to look at, watch it, take a look at it, and then we're going to discuss it a little bit. Because I think you'll, you'll find it interesting. You're not an irrational woman. I like to think I'm not. You don't like logic. Is that an observation or a question? So if the problem exists... If. It exists for a reason. If. You accept a problem exists. Look. A Peter. I know your name. I wrote the cheque. What I was trying to say politely was, this isn't working. What did you expect? A quick fix and back into the fray? You came here because you identified a problem. Or was it to please somebody else? Listen. That's what you're paying me to do. Are you getting annoyed with me? Anger is not a negative emotion, Sarah. It's a primal urge. That's comforting to hear. Survival of the species. We live in a competitive world. Aggression plays a natural part. Without it, there'd be no sport, no business. No police force. Yes. The problem is, is the way anger is perceived by others. The way it's portrayed. Body language. Tone and pitch of voice. What if I'm just being assertive? Are you? That's what I perceive it as. Assertiveness offers choice. Anger is a secondary response. It's triggered by something... things not meeting our expectations. I need to do everything myself. Then there's an escalation, followed by shouting, accusing, cursing, hitting out. Then it plateaus. You become aware of yourself, then it tips into post-crisis depression. The need to make amends or apologise. Any of this sound familiar? My name is Sarah, and I'm an angry woman. <laughs> but not incurable. Describe something that makes you angry. Oh. For instance, I... This is such a cliché. What is? This situation. You, me, talking about me. It feels false somehow. It's very real to me. For instance. Well, we might be discussing a case. We? Well, my officers, my team. Go on. Well, they go off the point, or... 
don't offer anything up or, or appear to be reticent to follow my lead. How does that make you feel? Well, frustrated, of course. So, what do you do? I get pissed off. And when you get frustrated, how do you react? I pace about, raise my voice. You stamp your foot and say, I want it now! Yes! That's what toddlers do. When you recognise the triggers, stop. Take time out. When a mother told you to count to ten, she was right. Thinking of a loved one or uh, thinking of a calming phrase can help. I wandered lonely as a cloud. <laughs> Humour's good too. Try not to be so hard on yourself, Sarah, and try not to be so hard on those around you. I'll see you next week. Same time. Okay, so tell me what you observed. What did you find interesting? What did you find strange? What did you find humorous? Whatever. What, what, what triggered you about the, about the clip? Anything false, anything true? This is fitted did out. Okay. And I remember being in business and having a, a fellow work for me, and he would throw a hissy thing. The mixer wouldn't quite work right. Mud wasn't mixed at the time. He'd get mad at that mixer and he'd start slamming things around. Finally, I climbed down a scab and I said, one thing I'm going to tell you, Jimmy, I will not put up with hissy fits like this no more. Don't let me see you do that again. I don't, when you get mad, that's your problem. But don't be tearing out my equipment because you have a hissy fit. Because then I'll get angry. quit. quit doing that. At least you quit doing it in your site, which kind of like this doctor, right? I mean, it's easier to, to, to know the right things, but in private, anger reigns in the back. Uh, I was just going to say, it was interesting to me that when they said that you should pick up your triggers and then count to 10 or time out. And I think an interesting thing that worked for me is to quote scripture, you know, and just allow the scripture to speak to my, uh, to my heart, be able to walk away and, and just meditate on that. That's a really powerful uh, way to be able to help. And also, um, Dennis is telling me, I think it's a normal Norman Rockwell painting where the, I think you mentioned something to this effect, where the husband gets yelled at by his boss, he comes home, yells at his wife, wife yells at the kids, and then the kids get the dog. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's just, Anger will flow right. from one to the next because your anger situation, especially if you target on somebody, will make them angry which then they have to target against someone, and it just flows downhill until someone can't give an angry response back, which usually is the cat or the dog, <laughs> or the wall or whatever. Um, but yeah, the key is, is being able to identify 
what that trigger is in those situations that are making you angry. But, but in order to do that, you have to take that step back and think about it and, and analyze it. Even after the fact, after you get angry, rather than just plateauing and, and, okay, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. It won't happen again, I promise. Okay, wait a minute. Let's step aside and analyze the whole situation through prayer and with the Holy Spirit saying, what caused this? What made me angry? What is the, that trigger that, that sent it over? And then what is the catalyst that just blew it over the top? Identifying, and it might be multiple triggers. It might only be one. It might be a trigger in one situation and something different in another situation. But identifying what those triggers are so that when that trigger happens, you can generate the response that, that you want to become automatic response now. The, the new automatic response is, quote, scripture, or the count to ten, or the... I have to pray, whatever the case may be, that, that you develop as, as the right response to associate with that, that automatic response of, of passion or anger. Any other comments from the clip? Heidi? You said that anger begins when things don't meet our expectations. And that's certainly the case with me. So I need to maybe adjust my expectations so that I Good. don't get to that point or... You know, different people might not respond to I do because my expectations are different than your expectations, so I need to change what I Very good. Excellent point about sometimes our expectations are a little too high, and so when things don't meet our expectations, it frustrates us. Just like the lady here, right? Things weren't going to the way she did it, so then she starts to pace, and she starts to, and things begin to escalate. And then, you know, she responds out in anger, and stomps her foot, and I want it now! Um, which is the extreme, obviously, end of it, but that's the way toddlers are, and, and we think about it. Sometimes we, we, we like to think of ourselves as adults, and, and we're not children. We've grown up, we've matured, but in some ways that childness is still in us um, when it comes to anger. You know, we, we get, sometimes throw those temper tantrums, um, or we see others that are doing it, and, and sometimes it's because our expectations have not been met because we've set them too high. For ourselves, maybe. A lot of times, again, those of you that are are kind of like me that are somewhat perfectionists or this type A personality, you set the bar up here for yourself, but you have really trouble, a real hard time setting the bar a little bit lower for somebody else based upon what they can do. You want to keep that bar as high as it is for yourself. Um, it's tough. I think we had mentioned about um, the kids, and my two boys, they're kind of they'll get out of each other, and that is me. And I know what, what we've done is, because I know that's too triggered, I know that triggers because we won't go all the time together, it's going to come up sometime during the day. So if we started that with that prayer, that, and specifically mention that, that anger will not be a part of our day. And if it does, we will deal with it and come and keep peace in the house that's developed. Excellent. Starting the day that way, and good point, because that can also be a part of, it's almost a pre-trigger before the event, is to start the day in a devotional, in, in a prayer, in meditation, with that concept in mind, and really praying for God's grace that, that if a situation does come up, that we were going to deal with it in the right way. Continue. That way, if it does come up, I can take them aside and say, this is what we prayed about, and they can't deny that. <laughs> Good point. Excellent. It, it teaches personal responsibility too, right? Very good. Excellent. 
someone else? Uh, one of the things that it taught me is that there is no experts <laughs> in handling anger. We might appear that way, but there are no experts. There is no solution other than God. Absolutely. That's what she talked about. And like even when, when we get angry with people, what does the word of God say? Pray for them that despite what you do. So when something happens, is that the first thing that we, that we do to pray for the person? Good no. Point. We get off. <laughs> we get a little angry. So yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the, the key concept, I think, that I, that I found in that too, is that, you know what, there's people that pride themselves or that, that, that um, say they're experts in anger management, but realistically, ultimately, we all have struggled with anger. Um, it's, it's a part of our nature and our being. And the only way truly to conquer that is when God is the one that's in control. Um, and, and that's where, in those situations, in many times, we have gotten out of control and we've kept God out of the picture in those situations. And we need to bring God back into the picture so that his Holy Spirit is the one that's reigning in those situations so that he's reigning over us and over those times. Um, we'll continue just because I don't want to get... I'd rather be done a little bit early and leave time for questions or, or discussion. Um, so how should we express our anger? Many times it's often in a destructive way and, a, and an expressive way that is very negative. But we want to come to the point where, where we are constructive in our expression of anger. Where we are thinking rationally. We're thinking creatively. We're, we're using our mind in expressing the anger rather than just a physical response or a reaction within our body. It's something that's driven by our, our mind where, where it has all started. And then the other concept is, is being able to temper that, to be able to, to use the Holy Spirit to, to control that response with love and with grace. Because that's when God is given the glory through that. Ephesians 4 is really the key text that I think in searching through scriptures um, that gives us a, a real big key to this. Ephesians 4, 23 and then 26 and 27. 23 begins with, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then 26 and 27 say, be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down in your wrath, neither give place to the devil. And in that, I think we if you, we begin to really look at it, we begin to see a transformation happening, that renewing. It's something that's changing from what used to be kind of sinful, ugly, nasty, just a blast-out response to something that is transformed to be very glorious to God and well-pleasing in His sight, where He sees us getting into an angry situation, and in turn, we turn to Him and ask for His glory to be shown, and He blesses the situation. And we walk away from that situation saying, wow, that wasn't as bad as I thought. Or, thank you, Lord, for getting me through this. Although the other response may have been a one-way angered demolition against us. Um, and our natural reaction would have been just to, to, go, to go at it. But transformation begins with our thinking. It's being renewed in the spirit of our mind. If we want, to be tr- if we, we want anger to be transformed in our life, it has to begin with the mind. Being renewed in the spirit of our mind. But it also requires that that temperance to it, that, that control. A little bit of self-control, but more spirit control. Being angry and sinning not. The separating out of, of the passion response to the mind to the reaction that, that's going to occur. 
tempering that so it doesn't get to the part of sin. But it also requires timely resolution. If you don't deal with anger and you put it off or you hide it or you suppress it or you camouflage it as something else, it's going to come up the next time. That's the whole point of let the sun not go down on your, upon your wrath. Deal with it in a timely fashion. When it occurs, that deal with it. Because if, if all you do is suppress and hide and camouflage and all the other defense mechanisms you want to call them, the next time it comes up, it gets a little bit bigger. And the next time a little bit bigger. And, the next time, and it gets harder and harder until it's this massive nuclear explosion of emotion. And guys obviously have a lot harder time with this than the women. Because the women will talk about their emotions and talk about what they're feeling, what they're thinking about. Whereas guys, oh, I'm, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. I'm okay. Just don't bug me. I need some time alone to deal with this. And all I do is I go and I tinker with my car or I do this. I go build something or, or whatever just so I get away from the situation. I don't have to deal with it. And then I come back into it and it's the same thing again the next time. And I clam up again. So, guys, this is really a key to us, I think, where we have a little bit more of a harder time dealing with the emotion of anger. And society in general has said, it's okay, guys, to be a little more aggressive in your anger. But that's not really what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God doesn't give us a rubber stamp to say, it's okay, guys, to be angry because you're just men and that's what men do. Well, that's not what men do. That's not what God does. And therefore, it's not what we do either or what we ought not to do. And that's why we need to think about things and, and begin to really pray for, that God would transform our anger into something that is more pleasing to him and that we begin thinking about it, tempering ourselves, and, and transforming things in a timely fashion so that it declares God's territory. And that's what transformation does. But the last verse there says, Neither give place to the devil. In the context of this, when we're angry, what are we doing? Giving place to the devil. When we are expressing that anger in a sinful way, we have given place to the devil. And he has declared that as his territory, and he's going to reign in expressing it in your life. But when God has taken place of the devil and has begun to transform that area of your life, that is now his territory, and he declares it as God's. And, that, and that's the way we have to view it. That has to be God's territory. Angry situations. So that when we get in those situations, God is the one that's ruling and tempering our body and working through us in a way that is also being a light to those that are around us. So biblical strategies for anger. I mean, we have the, the, some of the, the strategies that he had for but I just made a simple little acronym to kind of help us you remember. It's a simple acronym. It's called CALMER. It starts with a K. I'm not too good at spelling. Um, keep quiet and pray. He that refraineth his lips is wise, Proverbs 10, 19. A, ask questions rather than making statements. Although they do say, well, express what you, you know, use I statements. You know, well, this is, I feel this way and this... That's good, but also at the same time, ask questions of yourself. What's going on here? Why am I getting so angry? 
What's triggering this? Are there any catalysts that are really making me blow my top? L, listen. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. M, learn to moderate, to temper, to moderate your emotions. But be able to express them in a very constructive way. And there's the expressing our, ans- our, our answers or, or, or whatever we're talking about in just a soft manner. And sometimes that takes a lot of time to be able to cultivate that. So that our first, oh, just, okay, listen, this is, and again, it's the automatic response with children. Is you, would you just, never mind, Colin, come here. Let's sit down, let's talk about it. It, it, it required a lot of God's grace and a lot of conscious thought to, to not immediately respond in a, in a voice that isn't the right tone of voice to work with children or to, to, to get your point across. A soft answer turneth away wrath, Proverbs 15.1. And obviously our reconciliation and forgiveness have to be included in that. On our part, between us and God, because that's where it starts. If we've sinned, we need to reconcile and ask for forgiveness. And in an angry situation, if we've blown up at somebody, we need to reconcile and ask for forgiveness too. Because that's what God's will is. Um, and we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. In Ephesians 4, the last part of the chapter says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. I want to have one more little clip here um, that we'll talk about. And this one is a, is a relationship between a husband and a wife. Um, and you'll see there back and forth, and, and we'll kind of talk about that afterwards. Is that pretty good, I think. It's a few days, but, I mean, you know, it gives us enough time. You know, we should check out a um, Broadway show the next time I'm in town. What is that going to be? Um, well, you know, I go to D.C. That's next. Then I go to Cleveland. But I should have a break in there sometime so that, you know, we can do something. So you're going to D.C. and Cleveland, and um, you don't even know when that break is? There's going to be a break between D.C. and Cleveland. How long is that break going to be? It's a few days, but, I mean, you know, it gives us enough time. It's going to be on a weekend. Certainly, if I reserve the tickets now, American Express, then we could do that. So you're going to D.C. and Cleveland, and you're only going to have a couple of days in between those two, and, and you're going to come here, and we're going to go see a play. Don't start I know that look. I know that look. Don't start. Come on now. Lindsay, I'm in town for a few days. Let's not start this today, all right? Let's just be together and... Don, I'm really, I'm really trying. I am really trying. Okay. I realize that you're only here for a certain amount of time, 
that you leave tomorrow, but you know this has been brewing with me. You know this is something that I think we need to talk about. I can't believe that... I, I can't believe that you're getting ready to leave tomorrow. And you just got here two days ago. You tell that to, the, to my job. I mean, you know, what, what, what am I going to do? Don, can we please find a way to work this out so that we save our marriage? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just, you know, in our couple of days together, I just think maybe we could talk about how we're going to stay married and how we're going to make this relationship work. How about that instead of a play? So now we have to save our marriage? Don, you're going to D.C. and you're going to Cleveland and you want to stop in for a couple of days and see a play. Don, when is the last time that I've really seen you? When is the last time that we've talked about anything of substance? And you talk to me about a play. You know what? You know what, Lindsay? It's bad enough that I don't get to see you as often as I want. And whose fault is that? It's bad enough that I get to see you as little as I want. But I have to come home for two days... And all I hear is you nagging for those days. I, 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 that's ridiculous. Can't we just accept this situation? It's not going to be like this forever. Can't we just accept this situation? What does that mean, Don? Right now. What does that mean? As long as we've been together, this has been a problem. You keep saying it's not going to last forever, but it's lasted four years. When is it going to stop? And how am I supposed to deal with it if I feel like we can't even talk about it? Every time I bring it up, you don't want to talk about it. So I don't talk about it. But now you're leaving tomorrow, and I want to talk about it. Can you lower your voice a little bit? Why? Don? I mean, I'm not a three-year-old. Okay, okay, okay. You don't have to be condescending. Okay, I'll lower my voice. Okay? I'll lower my voice if you can tell me how we're going to save our marriage when you're out of the town all the time. Hmm? What do you want me to do about that, though? If I work someplace, I work someplace. You know as well as I do, I hate that job. I mean, but I gotta do it. Don, this is not what I wanted. You know, this is not the deal when we got married, that we would spend this much time apart, that we'd get together and we couldn't even resolve things. We couldn't even right, talk about things. I can't talk things. to you as long as you're yelling in my ear. Well, what am I supposed to do? Lindsay, you're being impossible. You're being impossible. How, what am I supposed to do? I love you, Lindsay. I mean, I'm... I, I mean... You're I really, I really don't know what to do, and but you're making it look like I, it, it's, it's, it's some, it's a decision that I have to make, and I, I, I can't make a decision. It's either I pay the bills, I work the job, I pay the bills, or I don't work the job. I sit here with you as long as you want. You can and we find, lose our house. You can we lose find a, a way. What do I do? To work here.
you can find some time to spend with me so that we can talk about what's going on in our marriage. That's easy for you to say. You but the truth of the matter away. is, is that you don't want to sit down and talk to me about our marriage. I don't want to yell. You've been here for three days, and you at. haven't even seen me for three days because you've been sleeping, or, or you've been upstairs in the office, or you've been hanging out with your friends. So why don't you just tell me the truth, Don? Do you even want to be married to me? Yes. Do you want to be married to me? Not like this. No. Do you love me? Don, it is not about love. Well, I love we, you. We talk about that all the time. I love you, but... But this you're not isn't sound working. Like you're loving me. You're not loving. I don't do I, everything. I do. I do it for you. Oh please! I do it. I do oh, it for you. Please. I work you because do of so you. much for me, and we can't even talk. We can't even I have work a conversation. Done. We have a problem. How are we going to fix it? How are we going to fix it? I don't know, but we can work it out. All right, we can work it out. I don't see how it's going to work. I really don't. All right. If that was a couple that was in our church that came to you for counsel, begin. Or maybe, where do you begin? <laughs> With a lot of prayer, absolutely. In the classifieds. <laughs> In the classifieds, looking for a job for him. <laughs> what about your counsel to them? Or what were the things that kind of, like, wow? Or, I've done that before. They were on two separate planes. They, they definitely weren't communicating with each other. Um, now, what was... Sorry, go ahead. Okay. Okay, good. Now, if you looked at his demeanor and how he was, was while they were talking, what, for, what's the first problem in their talk? They, they weren't... They, it was like he was doing his thing She's doing his, her thing, and they're really not sitting and talking with one another, were they? I mean, he was busy still flipping through the newspaper, magazine, whatever it was. She was still busy folding their laundry, and they're trying to talk, quote-unquote. I mean, first rule of communication when you really want to talk with someone is you face-to-face with them so that you show that you're genuinely interested in what they're talking about, so that you're actively listening to them and not... Oh, everything around them. Good. What other comments? We don't know too much if she had a job or not. It doesn't seem like she. It doesn't seem like she had a job, but there wasn't really much in there to know if she did have also a part-time job or something that that she was making a little bit. Or if, if it, it. I guess either way, he felt the burden. He perceived the burden to be solely on his shoulders as the main breadwinner, and that he had to go out 
and live at, in some ways I'm going to go back to, to Heidi's comment, his expectation was here of what he needed to provide for the family, was it not? Was that at the same spot of where her expectation was? Well, not really. Her expectation was not this. Their goals were quite different. He was, he's looking for the house and the bills. Yeah. She's looking for the time. She's looking for the relationship. Yeah, exactly. There was not a communication of what the other's needs were or how could they meet those needs. It was just a matter of, this is my expectation and you're not meeting my expectation, either for myself or for you. Uh, but there was a comment in there that she said, you're spending too much time with your friends, you're spending too much time upstairs. When he was home, he, was, he, he still wasn't spending the time with her. So obviously his goal for the, for the relationship was, as well was, was very low. It was just, hey, we're married, that's good enough. I told you I loved you when you got married, and that's good enough until I die, unless I tell you otherwise. We've all heard those comments and kind of laugh at how ridiculous it is, but there are, it's... That could have been, actually, the same thing could have been you and the two of them talking on the phone with each other. Yeah. Because that's how far they were apart. And in many ways, they were just as far apart as if they were in different cities. That was up here, too, and he couldn't get up to that point. And then what made them, what, what, what caused the anger to develop and escalate? They both weren't listening to each other. Both were just kind of walking ahead. And I think they both had resentments, and they both just did not want to hear what the other was saying. She didn't want to hear what he was saying, he didn't want to hear what she was saying. So that's very Okay, good. Right. Katrina, sorry, go ahead. Whatever, it doesn't matter. They triggered each other a little bit because, you know, he, what's he going to do? They weren't trying to find the balance. They, it was, find the balance. they were both where they were and entrenched in, in that. Neither of them were really looking for a solution. They were both kind of set that this is the way it is. This is the way it's going to continue. I don't have control of it. And so either I'm going to walk away from her perspective or I just got to do my job from his perspective. They weren't college. Sorry, go ahead. What it seemed to be is that he was running away from her. Every time they got together, I am assuming from watching that, yeah. she nagged about it. So he went out with his friends and he was not To get away from the nagging. Start with at least being time together. together. Make them good days. Why she, he didn't, she didn't like his job. You know, 
Not that he wasn't providing, but it was the lack of time. Right. She wasn't acknowledging it. He was trying to provide. How about some better program? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how many conversations with Kate and I had. It was taking me 45 minutes or an hour. Not because I'm not listening, because I'm trying to comprehend what she's trying to tell me. You know, was, we need to take time to understand what the other one is trying to say. I'm frustrated or not. Yeah. And it's funny because his response was when she was getting passionate and, and laying her heart on the line, his response was, you need to simmer down, settle down. You know, don't, get, don't talk to me like that. I'm not a three-year-old. Well, look beyond what, what that is to see what's, to, to really understand the problem. Go ahead. I go back to what the Bible says, you know, let not the sun go down without wrath. Like that day deal with it. They both kept quiet and they each other. And, and what did she say? This has been building. Every time, it's the same thing. It keeps building and building. And I've had enough. You know, because, again, it wasn't dealt with in a timely fashion. It escalated and got escalated to the point where she sees no hope in saving her marriage. He's totally like, what just happened? <laughs> Well, he said a few times that he loved her, but just the words I don't think really meant much because she just, that's all she saw it was words, and she didn't see the action behind the words corresponding with it. Yeah. Adrian. As long as the other party understands that, right? Because there's nothing necessarily wrong with venting or, or truly letting them know how you truly feel. That's, that's the whole concept of, of the I statements and, and making sure that you say, listen, when, when you're out of town for two weeks in a row and you come home for two days and those two days are spent up in the, the office or out with your friends, I just feel like you don't love me. I feel like other things are more important to you. I feel like you don't think this marriage is worth keeping. That's and then and say, in even saying it in a, a, a very expressive way is okay too, as long as they understand that the the other side understands that. Listen, I'm just going to vent for the second here. Just don't get angry. Just let me vent for a second, so you can get what's in my mind, what's going on, and then we'll bring it down. It's not the best way, but if both parties are in agreement, it's it can work. And, and I think that's the, the crux of the the uh, book, uh, Love and Respect, also is. You gotta get out of the cycle. You gotta and they get were out in of that cycle. cycle. You, you gotta break the cycle. Once you break the cycle, then you start to build. And that's the thing. Anger is a cycle. It's an automatic thing that has been built into us over time. Maybe programmed from our families. Maybe programmed from our society. Maybe programmed from within our church and how we. You think of it. Sometimes, at least I know in the past of our churches. When you have the, the members' meetings, it just became this big shouting fest. because, And that was programmed in to the point where they said, just forget it, we're not doing it anymore. And so then we didn't have brothers' meetings for 20 years in our local church. And then when we started it again, all of a sudden it was different. Because the, that had been taken out of the cycle of what happened. So sometimes things get programmed in that need to be, that cycle needs to be broken. The trigger needs to be identified so that you generate a new response cycle to it. 
I mean, I was studying on the Bowl, you know, studying on the church, and I read some writings, and I went back and listened to the history of our church. And I think, I think resentments are the biggest offender for anger, and we carry resentments, we all do. But when I was reading about the American side, the European side, splitting over mustaches, we think that's funny, but the whole church is separated, and all the people talk to the American side, all the European side, why are we split? We're, we're not split because of the Bible. We're split because I got a mustache and you don't have a mustache. And, and, and unresolved issues that were generated at that time that generated a lot. There was a lot of emotion in that. Um, we look at it now and don't understand the emotion, don't understand how it could have generated such anger or resentment. But, and unfortunately, you talk to any of the sides today, and most of us are all clueless as to the emotions that generate that. But that's what happened when emotions were allowed to rule instead of a godly conscious thought and logic through it and discussion through that because there was no resolution. The communication was no different than this. Talking about two different things but never coming together. And that's, and that's why. It's, whether it's at a relationship level between a husband and wife, parents and children, church body, society in general, it's the same thing. When anger gets out of control, when it is not tempered with the Spirit of God and, and God's grace, the result is, is always going to be destructive. And, and will split, whatever the case may be. Um, we're just about concluded. Um, any other thoughts or, or comments? Still I was going to say that you have two ultimatums, and no, neither of the two parties are actually giving any type of suggestions or, or any type of, you know, hey, let's do this, or any type of result. It's just not there. Exactly. And what happens is over time, as, as both ultimatums or both positions stay where they are and get further entrenched, there is never reconciliation. And therefore, there's never forgiveness. And the Bible talks about it that, that we ought to be aware lest a root of bitterness springing up defile you. And that's, I was a part that I cut out of here because I knew my time was going to be limited. Um, but when I initially did this talk back in Windsor, I dealt a lot on that, on bitterness. Because bitterness stems from anger. You let anger go long enough, and it's going to grow a root that's going to grow deep, and it's going to spread. And it's going to be very difficult. And when you do take it out, it's going to be painful and leave a big hole. So it's a very... It's the other thing with bitterness. I believe the verse, I'm paraphrasing it, but it doesn't just affect you. Yes. It poisons others. So it's not... It actually says, thereby many are defiled. Is what the verse actually says. Excellent. So it, it, it's very... It's the, the aspect of, of transformation, and if I scoot back to that just for a quick second. Oops. Oh, yeah, one more. The whole aspect, of, and that's the, the thrust of this, is that we really need to pray and, and really sink ourselves into the Word of God and into His Spirit that we would be transformed, that our anger would be transformed from something that is simply a physical passion response of, of who we are naturally to something that is a response and a reflection of God and His love and His grace and His mercy. Again, think of the instances throughout Scripture of when God got angry. There aren't very many, but there are a few. And are those also, and that's just a question for us to leave with, you look at what makes God angry. The oppression of the poor, the needy, 
true godly justice. Do those make us angry, or, do we, or are we more like on the other end of the spectrum and, and pretty indifferent with that? You know, when we see the oppression that's going on in the world today, when we see the massive injustice, the, the incredible numbers of, of, of abortions that are going on, or whatever the, the thing may be, does that really make us angry? Or do, have we just kind of, eh, whatever, that's the world, it's sinful, it's lost, it's going to hell, what am I going to do about it? Or do we really, does that stir up a passion response in us because that's God's heart that's being passionate about that and saying, this is wrong and I should be doing something about it and not just sitting on my duff, getting angry because some guy cut me off. Mark, uh, we know Jesus as being calm. <laughs> you say And it was done in the right way, in the right degree, in the right purpose. All those things that, that Aristotle was talking about, it was done the right way because he was Jesus. But he lives within us, and there's no reason that with God's grace we can't do the same. I'll excuse you at 22. Thank you. Thank the Lord and you for your participation.